Psalm 27. I trust in some quiet moments of perhaps today or this week, you'll be able to revisit this psalm of which we'll do an overview this morning. And then YouTube or Apple Music or Spotify or whatever you use, Christ, our hope in life and death, and, and sing along. Uh, it's our great hope in this life and beyond. We want to consider this morning this matter of confidence. Confidence from Psalm 27, God's word to us through David, who we may think of was always the crazy, brave shepherd boy charging at a giant Goliath. But as we see in the Psalms, there are plenty of instances where he struggled with this matter of confidence. I got to thinking this week on the question, why are we afraid of the dark? I mean, why are some of you afraid of the dark? Uh, why are you children afraid of the dark, right? Uh, what's the answer to that question? It's an interesting study in psychology. Uh, I'm sure there's some official name for the extreme fear, the phobia of dark. But all of us probably have at least a recollection of being sent down into the basement at night to get a can of, you know, beans off the shelf or something and being a little concerned about the dark. Many of you are in that stage of parenting where it's hard to keep your child in their bed at night or at least not without a nightlight or leave the door open. Um, because there's something about the dark that unsettles us because our eyes can't receive the data and then calculate what is known. It's that unknown that troubles us and we feel uncertain and thus vulnerable. Well, it doesn't take darkness even for us as adults to unsettle us at times. Uncertainty or opposition can leave us with a sinking feeling that we're not prepared for this. Do you ever feel insufficient for the task that God himself has asked you to fill? You lack confidence. You ever wonder if what you're doing is even what God wants you to do? Did I take a step off the path somewhere? Am I even supposed to be doing what I'm doing? We don't see how it's going to work out, or we lack control, or we feel weak and vulnerable, so our confidence is gone. And tied to that confidence is often this idea of hope. And so we're just not kind of a, a lively, go get them kind of Christian because we lack confidence. Well, hope comes to you from God through his word in Psalm 27. You heard it read for us, but look at verse 1 again to see this theme of confidence presented with the bold questions. Whom shall I fear and of whom shall I be afraid? Listen to the confidence. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? He echoes this confidence with his closing challenge. 
as if it's all just tied up in a tidy bow. Here's how you take care of it. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. But the problem is, many could say, well, I'm just not like David. Well, notice that when David is alone with his thoughts, his own thoughts, not his God-given inspired thoughts of Psalm 27, his own thoughts betray that David is not a bastion of self-confidence. So much so that in this psalm, many of the biblical scholars have wrestled with the fact that maybe this was supposed to be two psalms. Maybe verses 1 through 6, the Lord is my light and salvation and he'll take care of my enemies, was one psalm. And then beginning in verse 7 or so, it's, it's really something different. Because by verse 7, we hear David wondering if God will hear him. Lord, hear when I cry aloud. I'll appeal to your graciousness to hear me. You will, won't you? In verse 8, he thinks he's doing the right thing. But there's an uncertainty. You have said, seek my face. And my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek? Am I, am I doing it right? Verse 9, hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away. Cast me not off. For I know what it's like to be forsaken, even by family. He hopes God won't turn away from him. And in verse 12, he's asking that God won't give him over to his enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries. Well, why would he say that if he's already nailed down in verses 1 through 3? The Lord's my light and my salvation. I have no one to fear. I'll be delivered from my adversaries. I think. Kind of loses some momentum when you add, I think, to the end. And what we realize is David is not generating confidence from within. He's not some power plant of self-confidence. No, Psalm 27 is no Disney-like song of looking deep within to find the true hero inside. Quite the contrary. David says, when I look inside, that's when I become almost schizophrenic. That's when I'm like, oh, I thought I had it right, but now I'm not sure when it's just me left with opposition and uncertainty and the darkness and the future and enemies around. The confidence seems to fall away in the hardships of life. So where does David's confidence come from? How does David point us to confidence? What does he say it is that fuels the engine of confidence in the Christian life? And verse 1 gives us the answer. And then it unfolds in the verses or the stanzas of this song. The Lord is. That's the beginning of hope. That's the beginning of confidence. Now, we can fill in the blank with blank is. 
My job is. My marriage is. My financial state is. The diagnosis I got from the doctor is. The, the concerns I have with our culture and the way our nation's going are. There, there's all kinds of stuff out there that can stir up unsettling confusion, uncertainty, fear. But David's answer is not look within and come on, you can do this. His answer is the Lord is. And here in Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. God is light for our darkness. Not just light and dark of day and night, but the, but the darkness that causes unsettling and uncertainty in you. What robs you of your confidence? The solution is the Lord is the light. You see, David was, in a sense, living in darkness. He doesn't know what's going to happen in his kingdom. He doesn't know what's going to happen with Saul. He doesn't know what's going to happen when his own sons are turning against him. There's the uncertainty, so there's darkness. He can't see what's going to happen. It's dark. David's point is, no, I've got it wrong. I live in perpetual light. I always know what's going on because God is the light. So it's like the nightlight in your child's room. You don't want him sleeping with the full brightness of the light on. His body doesn't want that either. He's made to enjoy that darkness of sleep. But a little bit of light that just reveals the room enough to see that everything's okay gives that peace of mind to the child. David is saying, the Lord is my light. And it's not just a battle against the darkness, it's that the darkness is gone if I'm in the presence of God who is light. Because if you were out in the forest of the Colorado mountains and worried about some mountain lion or something, in the dark it would be very unsettling because you can't see if it's there. David says, the Lord is my light. I can always see. I can always know. I'm okay. It's the seeing of faith. Because you could say, well, that's great. I can always see, but the mountain lion's there. But David's point is, it's the seeing of faith. And if the Lord is the light, it's not only a light that illumines, it's a light that secures. It chases away the darkness. The Lord is my light. He's my salvation. He's my stronghold. Confidence is found in the Lord. Now, each of the kind of verse structures or stanzas of this song, and it is a song, remember. We're studying these songs for a few weeks here in the summer. So imagine singing different verses of a song. Each of them steer you back to confidence in the Lord. We're going to highlight them briefly because each of these verses characterizes God in some way that's helpful to us, gives us confidence. Ultimately, in verse 14, the command to wait for the Lord, I think in part could mean keep studying God's word and understanding how God's character bolsters your confidence. Let's look at the first verses of this song, though, verses 1 through 3. 
We've seen verse 1, and now David adds verse 2, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Number one, we can be confident in the face of opposition because God is strong. David expresses the confidence at the end of verse 3, yet I will be confident. And we know it's in the face of opposition because he said, the evildoers are coming against me, the adversaries, the foes. Confidence in the face of opposition. How is that possible? And the answer is because I know who God is. He's light and salvation. But what that feels like to me is he is a stronghold. He's got a grip on me that is solid so that the enemy's clawing and scratching for me like these wild beasts wanting to devour me. They're not going to reach me. I'm safe because God is strong. So your confidence is rooted in God's strength. We should know that even from our New Testament. Put on this armor of God because, yeah, you you face opposition. How are you going to be confident? Put on the armor and then be strong in the power of his might. Because God is strong, I can be strong. I don't have to muster up confidence. I have to muster up worship and recognize that I am seeing God for who he is. His strength now will strengthen me. Well, the next stanza unfolds in verses 4 to 6. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in a day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices and shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Number two, we can be confident in the priority of worship because God is beautiful. Confident in the priority of worship. Where do we see that? David says in verse 4, One thing I asked of the Lord. One thing. And honestly, after reading verses 1 to 3, and in seeing in verse 6 that enemies are all around him, we can have a pretty good guess, right, at what that one thing would be that David wants. One thing have I asked of the Lord, and that would be that he would deliver me from my enemies. But that's not what the text says. I fear too much of our praying is about, Lord, it would be so much better if you'd fix this and solve this and remedy this and give health here and save us from this and provide finances here. And we want all the fixes which God may intend to do in his kindness. But David, in this context of enemies and foes and adversaries looking to devour his flesh, does not seek the one thing of deliverance from those enemies. 
Instead, he prioritizes worship. And how can he be confident that that's what's most important? When somebody's literally trying to kill you, how can your priority be with confidence, I need to worship God? And David says, the only way you can trump danger and uncertainty and fear and risk and hopelessness is with the beauty of God. Now, we may not associate manliness or even God with the term beautiful. But maybe, maybe it helps to think of standing at the Grand Canyon or on the plains of Kansas looking at the Rocky Mountains or whatever else you think would be spectacularly beautiful and you don't feel like you diminish the Grand Canyon by saying, wow, that's, that's just beautiful. Or a remarkable sunset or something. You, you call it beautiful and you're in no way saying it's cute or baby-like or small. David here is using beauty in that way in its truest sense. Not as a feminine descriptive, right? Women are beautiful, but men aren't. Don't call a man beautiful. He wants to be something else. Cute's better than beautiful, probably. Call him handsome or whatever you call your man, right? Call him that, whatever he likes. But beauty truly is above masculine or feminine. It's who God is in all of his perfection. And David says, above all else, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord. I want to be in God's presence. I want to worship. And how does he define worship? As gazing on the beauty of the Lord. You see, worship is nothing less than wonder. Oh, we could add to that and say it's wonder that produces service and acts of devotion and such. But wonder is first and for, or worship is first and foremost just wonder, just being overwhelmed by the value the worth, the treasure that is God. Worship is seeing and marveling at the incredible worth or beauty of something. This makes sense to us when we think of standing at a canyon or a mountain or a sunset and being moved as all creation speaks of the value of God who made that. They declare his glory, and we, we say, it's true. This is incredible. But it also explains idolatry. When we're driven by the value of something more than anything else, we, we want to be successful and make money. We don't want to be poor like we were growing up, and so a man will work himself crazy because what matters is the big house and the nice neighborhood and the nice car and we understand how that too is worship. Giving oneself to what we think is valuable. David says, one thing I will seek, the priority of worship. And I can prioritize worship because I know who God is. He's beautiful. Can you say with any confidence that you had any one thing moments this past week? Maybe we just assaulted God with a whole barrage of all the things we want 
and we never got to just wanting him. We want him to do a lot for us, but do we want him? Do we want to see who he is? Can you say that you've sought after one thing as David does? Some here might even say, you know, I just have too much on my plate to sit around gazing. You know, God's asked me to do this and this and this, and I've got all these roles and responsibilities, and I won't dispute that. I will simply say that God in his kindness has addressed that very scenario with two women, Martha and Mary. And Martha is perturbed that Mary is just sitting there gazing at Jesus. And she tells the Lord so. And the Lord uses David's words. He says, she has chosen one thing that is necessary. In other words, it's essential to everything else. Martha, your serving is not unnecessary or unwanted. It's good. It could be considered worship if it begins with wonder. If it begins with gazing and seeing the worth of God and that produces the action, then great. But Jesus' gentle exhortation to Martha was, you've jumped ahead of gazing to just being busy and doing. Come back to the one thing that will make all that doing a sweet joy. Come and gaze. Come and see. Come and look. Come and learn. Come and study. Come and just be in awe. Come and wonder. Come and stand at the grand canyon of God's character. Come and stand at the pike's peak of God's might and majesty and just wonder and be amazed at how much that does to fuel what you desperately want out of the routine of life, the confidence, the courage, the strength. David says, the Lord is my light. Later in the psalm, I think, but the great hope of keeping him encouraged and confident is, wait a minute, I'll come back and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Now verses 7 through 9, or 10. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Verse 9 is almost painful to read. Hide not, turn not, cast not, forsake not. It's almost like the last phrase should be a question. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. Right? That is who you are, right? You said seek your face. I've been doing that. Is, have I done it right? You've been my help. You won't cast me off, will you? There's, there's this dip that happens. We started great, and we all know, verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. 
but most probably identify more with, I think, or right? You will, won't you? I think the point that David wants us to see here is how he brings it all back in verse 10 to the character of God. Mother and father have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Number three, we can be confident in our place of belonging because God is love. Yes, his steadfast love endures forever, and when you belong to him by faith in Jesus Christ, you can be confident in that belonging. Some of you thrive on the acceptance of others and thus suffer when you don't feel it. There's not a lot of confidence to be had in doing that. Better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes or anyone else. Doesn't mean you have trust issues. It simply means you know where trust is best placed. In the one who says he will never leave you or forsake you. The one who says I'm your light in darkness. I'm your salvation when you need deliverance. I'm your stronghold in your weakness. David says, the Lord will take me in. It's almost like self-preaching. Lord, you said seek your face. I, I, I think I've done that. You won't cast me off, will you? You're not. And then he comes back and he just says, David, get a grip. The Lord will take you in. You are safe and secure in his hand. We can be confident in a place of belonging because God is love. Read Romans 8 this week and be reminded of why you should be confident in your place of belonging. David came to that place. Oh, that's right. Confidence starts with the Lord is. Or in this case, the Lord will. Take me in. But the song continues. Verses 11 and 12. Give, or teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. Teach me your way, O Lord, David says at the beginning of this stanza. Remember, the theme is confidence. So something about this request to be taught is tied to our confidence. We would think confidence would come from knowing what we need to know. You remember your first day on a new job, your first week, maybe the first months, and you're learning the people, you're learning the personalities of bosses, you're learning expectations. But once you get to know all of that, now you have confidence. I know what I know. I'm good. We can do this. But it doesn't seem to be the case here. It seems to be that the position of always ready to learn is where the confidence comes from. Lord, your way is the right way. Lead me on that path. And as long as I'm a follower, I'll be confident. David's saying, I'm not looking to be type A personality and leading the charge, and that's what confidence is all about. No, ultimately, the only hope of a type A confident leader having any success is being of whatever type it is that follows Christ. Lord, teach me your way. 
That's the only way to go. David is saying our confidence is bolstered when we realize we have a choice of obedience. I have this confidence in our choice of obedience. I know the way and I'll walk in it. Why? Because God is a God of righteousness. So we can be confident in our choice of obedience. Lord, teach me your way. I see how the adversaries go. I see how the violent ones do it. I see evil, but I want this level path. I want the right path. And your choice of obedience can have confidence this week because you've gazed upon a God who is righteous. You know what good is. You know what moral is. You know what right is. And so you make the choice. Come what may. You know what the world's going to think of it. You know it might cost you the job. You know those relationships may not be the same. But you have confidence because God is right. He's righteous. And you will be too. David says, teach me your way. David, I'm sure, had some concept of what the way was. From the time he was a young person, the text says he was a man after God's own heart. But he hadn't arrived at anything other than, I'm a student. I'm a learner of the infinite beauty of God. Yet, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we'll have no less days to sing his praise or to try to figure out just how glorious he is. You'll never figure it out. You'll always, for all eternity, be a learner, be a gazer, be a wonderer. So how much more in this life, tempted by sin constantly, infirmed by our own weaknesses, how much more do we need to be saying daily, teach me your way? It'll reshape your parenting, your marriage, your work ethic, the way you participate in politics. Every area of your life will be affected when you say, I don't want to be whatever I think I should be. Lord, teach me your way. And it brings a confidence now that I don't have to be married because single can be exactly what God wants. I don't have to have a great retirement fund. God will take care of that, but show me your way of stewardship right now. I don't have to engage in any other ministry than whatever you show me, Lord. I don't have to bear guilt from what other people expect of me. I just have to do what you want me to do. Teach me your way. And it becomes an incredible place of confidence. I'm doing exactly what God wants me to do. When people look at you and say, what? You put your kids in what school or what? You pulled them out. You're, you're going to homeschool? What? You're going to. You don't have to be all defensive as to, well, I, oh, I don't want to. This is the why I'm doing No. You just know, Lord, this is what you've laid before me t- today. This is what I know to do. I'll do this. And tomorrow I'll wake up and I'll pray again. Lord, teach me your way. Because I have a feeling I'll be just as prone to my own way as I was yesterday. If we want confidence, it needs to be rooted in the God who is always right and who is instructing us in that path. Finally, the song finishes with a general summary of confidence. I believe I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait 
for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So David is now plunged into the valley of questions and wavering faith, and now he's come back to the conclusion, man, it, this, the study of God is worth it. And so he can with confidence tell you who may have questions like he had, hey, wait on the Lord. Stay in that class. Stay in that study that you're in of God. Stay right there. Wait on him. And when you start seeing his character, you will feel the confidence build. And you too will say something like, I'm not afraid of the dark anymore. That maybe your six-year-old announced to you one day, right? You'll come to the same conclusion David did. The Lord really takes care of it. I can trust him with it. Verse 14 is that corrective for any of the doubt that we heard. David has recalibrated his compass. He knows where he's going because he knows who God is. I love the way the New American Standard, some of you are reading it, translates verse 13. Many of you have the ESV and it says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. The New American Standard translates it this way. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. If you listen to that, you can realize the Hebrew language has created a lot of questions about the verb tenses. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Or as the ESV says, I believe now that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, which is an expression for now. He's not saying when I get to heaven, then I'll see the goodness of the Lord. No, clearly the psalm is about seeing God now in the midst of our adversaries and problems. David is calling us here to recognize that through this song, we can take all of our doubt and all the threats of our enemies, and in the midst of it, we can marvel at the character of God and his faithfulness to carry us through. Our great hope of confidence is faith in the character of God. And so be strong. Take courage. Be confident. Those are David's words, but ultimately God's words through David to us today. And when we ask, how do I do that? I just don't feel like I'm that kind of person with that kind of makeup. David says, learn the character of God. Gaze on his perfections. Your God is strong. Your God is beautiful. Your God is loving. Your God is righteous. And your God is good. So we can be confident in this journey of life because our God is all of this to us. Heavenly Father, make us people who need one thing, to see more of you. And may our worship of you transform our confidence and our faith and even our desires this week. May we rest in your goodness, 
shown to us most clearly through the sacrifice of Jesus for our behalf. Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.